0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, show number 291, where we interview Tom Brickman, the frugal gay, and hear about side hustles, real estate, and flipping products on eBay.
1: You know, I've been with that company that moved me to Texas for 15 years. I left them just this past January. And um, if I wouldn't have done that investing in 2010, 11, 12, 13, I went aggressive from 10 to 15. I wouldn't have been in that position to be able to leave that nine to five job.
0: Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen and joining me today is David Hip Hip Parade from the Military Millionaire Group Podcast, Mastermind, blah, 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 all the things.
2: All the things.
0: All the things. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, David. David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting.
3: Absolutely. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we will help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams.
0: David, I am super excited to talk to Tom today. I have been following him on Twitter for a long time, probably six or eight months now. And I love his stories about real estate. I love his stories about flipping products on eBay. That's actually my favorite thing because I am a little bit jealous. I live vicariously through him and his side hustles with the uh, the flipping just because I tried it. I didn't do well. I didn't have any sort of method to my madness. I just would buy things on a whim. Oh, look, this little this will be great. And then it wasn't. And I crashed and burned and you know my $20 investment never went anywhere. Wow, go figure. So I'm super excited to talk to him and see how he makes it happen.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the the eBay stories are phenomenal. And some of the stuff that he's doing is just super unique and super cool. But what I really like is that it shows that you can side hustle with minimal time and minimal capital outlay. It doesn't take a whole lot to get into this side hustle and there's a ton of other side hustles out there. So it just shows that starting anywhere, you can absolutely make a ton of progress towards your financial goals.
0: Yeah. He's generating income when he wants to. If he decides that he doesn't want to sell anymore, he can just pull everything off eBay for a while. Or if he decides he wants to work more, he can go find more product and put it online. So I really like the flexibility of this side hustle. It does take a little bit of work figuring out what products are working, but he's got some tips for how to easily figure out what is selling and what isn't, you know, as you're at the store. So I think that's a lot of fun.
2: When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet.
0: Scott's right. Tom Brickman, the frugal gay from Twitter and Instagram. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today.
1: I'm excited to be here. This is awesome.
0: Okay. I know that you have a ton of things to talk about because you literally do everything, real estate and side hustles, and we have a lot to learn from you today. So let's jump right into it. Where does your journey with money begin?
1: Uh, so I would say my journey kind of started around six years old. Uh, my father was a police officer. I am the oldest of four kids. My mom stayed home with the kids. Um, So I remember us always being tight from the very beginning. And at six years old, I remember my dad bought his first rental property. He came into a house... Um, at the right price, a few blocks over from where we lived. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to go with dad to collect rent. I would go over there on the weekends and paint with him. So that was kind of the beginnings of, oh, real estate's cool. Oh, you can make money. Oh, someone else is going to pay you to live in your house. This is, this is kind of awesome. Um, and that is where I kind of started. And that's where my frugality came from as well, because my dad and working with my dad over the years, I learned that he's not going to fit, you know, he's going to slap paint on it and not really fix it all the way. So he and I will butt heads, especially now. I He's way more conservative than I am. And if it's broke for me, I just want to replace it. Um, but that was the beginnings. And um, we were, we always had money, but we were always tight. And we, you know, we took a family of of us at the time and we drove to Florida uh when we did a, a trip one year. So, and this was in a little Geoprism, a 1990 ah. Geoprism. So, a family of 5 in a That's Geoprism for, for going from Cleveland, Ohio down to Orlando. That was uh a life experience, we'll say that. Um I know he's not going to be happy for me bringing this up, but I bring this up to him often. Um, There was a time where he bought us new mattresses from Sam's Club, but it cost me to deliver. So we had to go pick them up in his boat. Um, because that was the only way we could move these mattresses and one of them blew out when we were driving home and it was still a traumatic experience that i like tell my friends today and whenever they're like it costs 75 dollars to deliver i'm like take my money and deliver it because i don't want another boat experience
0: i am your dad my dad is your dad uh oh man yeah we drove uh we had a maxi van, which is a regular size van with another seat in the back of it, uh, which is the only difference between your Geo Geo Prism. I'm thinking Geo Metro, which is even worse, but not by much. Uh,
1: geo Prism is like a tiny little, you know, Toyota uh, Cam, whatever the smallest one is. That that's what it was. That's what we drove down to Florida. Family of five. That was that was an experience.
0: Did it have air conditioning?
1: It did. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a bad car. And I mean, this was in the 90s, so it wasn't super dated, but it was just a cramped family of five in a tiny car for 19 hours driving down to Florida. And of course, my dad doesn't want to stop along the way because you have to pay for a hotel. So um, that was a that was an experience. Drive straight through. I I think we took like little rest breaks along the way um but i don't remember us stopping at a hotel like obviously when we got there we had a hotel waiting but yeah it was almost a straight shot i think we did it in like 25 hours total oh i'm definitely a car sleeper on road trips <laughs> when i'm on my own <laughs> try but and not sleep. with a family of five try and sleep with a fa- right the family of five that wasn't happening
2: don't
0: lay on me yeah okay okay so that sounds like super awesome fun did you go and pick up the the mattress off the road and like put it back in the boat or
1: i remember being in the back seat just like and sh- like shrill i'm like oh my god it didn't hit anyone thankfully and i do i think my mom and my dad went out and picked it up I i, re- I vaguely remember it was my sister's mattress and <laughs> it was the box <laughs> spring and it was broke for the her whole life um but um
3: it when was you it, saved 75 dollars on delivery. It, we
1: saved 75 dollars <laughs> and i have a story to tell 30 years later um but um it, it kind of formed me to, to, to the frugal gay where I am today. So without these backstories and going to Florida in a geoprism and, and driving down the road with a mattress flying out of your boat, um, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So that's, that's what brought me here.
0: Okay. Let's fast forward to high school.
1: Okay. So, um, in high school, I, uh, I went to a private school. My, my dad paid for that. That was part of, I went to a, a private school. Um, and when I say private, it was just like a, a Catholic high school. Um, not like military school. Um, I got a job as soon as I could. I, I worked a few odds, you know, cutting mowing yards. I worked at a deli. My dad got me a job at a friend of mine. I went work for her uncle one summer. I did all kinds of odds and ends up until when I turned 16 and could get that, uh, first real job and I got it I worked two jobs from 16 to 18 when I went away to college I, I worked at a deli and I worked at the gap and uh working at the gap for 5 15 an hour really kind of laid my found or groundwork for where I am today which is wild when you think about it but that job at 15 he filled out paperwork for me and he signed me up for Gap Stock Purchase Plan, which I didn't even know what it was. I just thought it was a ton of tax. And all I cared about was buying clothes for cheap because I didn't want the kids at school to make fun of me. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that Gap Stock Purchase Plan is what I cashed in when I was 21. And I bought my first multifamily property that way. So it, I didn't even know I had it till I was like 19.
0: Okay. So you said he filled out the per- the the paperwork was that your boss or your dad my dad your dad okay yeah
1: I took it, home. it it was back when before everything was digital I took it home and I'm like I don't know how to fill out all this can you help me and you know he, he whipped through the paperwork went back to work the next day turned it in and that was uh the beginnings of my gap stuff. I just thought I didn't I would work like tons of hours and my checks would be like 83 dollars and I didn't understand why but um that's That's how I got my first down payment. So I I like that part of the story, even though I, I didn't have a lot of money to show.
0: So this is an interesting scenario that I think a lot of people can learn from, especially if they're young. But even if they're not, if you think your check is going to be X and it's way less than X, first of all, that first paycheck that you get, you're like, what is FICA? Why is the why is my check so low? I worked 40 hours and I make I'm old enough to make $335 an hour at, at minimum wage and I should have way more money than this. And you're like, what are taxes? That first check is really shocking. But if you think your paycheck should be X and it's way lower than X, go through and make sure that you're getting the right deductions and you're, you know, or if you think it should be X and it's way more. I have had companies where I said, I want to contribute to the 401k. And then the next week I get a paycheck and I'm like, why didn't this go through? Oh, we forgot. Okay, well go fix it. Cause it's easy to fix that week. It's not easy to fix six months later or at the end of the year when you're like, wait, I was supposed to be contributing to my 401k the whole time. And they're like, well, better luck next year, you know? So read your paycheck stubs, just like reading your credit card statements and all of those things. But this has a happy ending because you were in the gap stock purchase plan. How much gap stock did you have? Did you sell high? Did you just not care? And you sold it anyway, when you said, so I cashed out and I'm like, don't cash out. And then you're like, but I bought a multifamily. (sighs) I'm like, okay, let's hear that story.
1: Uh, so yeah, I, I cashed out when I was 21, I had worked at gap since 16 to 21. Um, gap also had tuition reimbursement. So I was able to go to college, um, relatively debt-free. I paid for a semester or I'm sorry, I paid for one class a semester and gap paid for three a semester, which was awesome. Um, but when I cashed out at 21, I was in my senior year of, of college and it was about a little bit over $10,000 and that was a perfect down payment on a $90,000 duplex. Um, and that was kind of how I got into real estate. I I saw my dad doing it. Um, I knew I couldn't live anywhere cheaper than that duplex. My house payment was seven hundred and thirty-eight dollars. The downstairs tenant paid six hundred. So I lived upstairs for $138. And 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 where could you live for $138? And that was my mentality back then was I'd rather pay $138 than have this gap stock.
3: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And given the time that you're in i mean it's it's definitely easy to say well you know hey if you left that for the next 50 years it could grow to x but uh you know for one i i look at um like if it's if it's a single company i look at that as a little bit more risky over the long term but also just the fact that the opportunity cost of getting into you know a real estate investment at an early age or or getting into a way to slash your living expenses and then be able to reinvest that money, I think is, I mean, that's that's huge compared to just having the gap stock. Definitely.
0: Okay. So I, I will approve this stock purchase or stock sale, um, but you cashed out $10,000. That sounds to me like you might have some capital gains that you have to pay. Did you have a tax bill that you were surprised by?
1: I didn't because Gap, I think I actually sold when it was down and it was, it was a very, very small tax bill from what it could have been because you were buying it at a discount when you worked there and it had fallen. It was one of those where just everything just aligned perfect to sell it. Um, I did have a small tax bill back then, but it was, it was nothing compared to, you know, Gap has not split or anything crazy like that.
0: Okay. So this is what year? 2004? 2004, yeah. Okay. And so what? where did you move next? You have this duplex. You're living in the crappy upstairs apartment.
1: I am. Um... Um, I got, smart move. I got cocky. Um, I took out a HELOC <laughs> on that property. Um, and I'm like, I want to live in Cleveland, by my family, you know, I want to go back to Cleveland and it's 2005 and I took out this HELOC and I used it and I bought, um, a single family in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And, um, I bought it at the top of the market and I post about this one a lot on Twitter because I bought it for 85 and I sold it for like 52, um, 10 years later, it was just one of those that I had the business buying. I, when I went and took out a loan for the third property in, in 2009, I was like horrified by all the paperwork and questions and underwriters and all these things. I'm like, I don't understand when I bought this last house, they had me sign a piece of paper and. It was mine the next day. I mean, it was like such a seamless, easy process back then, but then it made sense on why there was a financial crisis in 2008. They were just giving loans to everyone who had no business buying properties. So uh, 2005, I went to Cleveland and that's kind of uh, 2006. I took a job with a company that said, we'll move you down to Dallas for six months for training and we'll move you right back. And I have been in Dallas for 17 years. So that did not happen.
3: Perfect. No big deal. (laughs) Well, I mean, it sounds like you at least like Dallas. So, or I hope otherwise, you know, maybe you could, (laughs) I wouldn't imagine you stay somewhere like a expensive city. Yeah.
1: When you grow up in Ohio and you see all the growth in Dallas and the, the improvements, it's like, why would I ever want to go back? Um, not that I'm dogging on Cleveland because my family still lives there. I still invest in Toledo, Ohio heavily. But um, Dallas has been uh, a great market to be in, especially when I, I entered.
0: Okay, so let's look at your holdings. 2006, you moved to Dallas for six months. Did you buy a house in Dallas right away?
3: Six six months going on 17 years. Yeah, going on 17.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Um, I had to pay off my bad debt cause I got credit cards and I had all that and they're like, We're, you want a third loan before we give you this third loan, you got to get rid of this credit card debt. So I took on a, a part-time job and, um, I just used that money at, at that time. I, I took this job in Texas making $33,000 a year. I took a part-time job, um, making, I don't know, eight fifty an hour. And I just, for a year of working that part-time job, I paid off my $17,000 in credit card debt that I had racked up from 2004, 5, 6, 7. And this was 2009 when I finally debt-free besides real estate and was ready to buy my first property in Texas was 2009.
3: Was this, so I know Mindy loves credit card debt. So was this, did you take on credit card debt because you were trying to use it for like updating properties or was this just a time in your life where you were not frugal and enjoyed a credit limit um
1: i was not frugal but i was um i just between the time that i left gap and between between the time that i found this company in texas that i worked for for the last 15 years i just accumulate you know i was doing some a little bit of ebay flipping and i just kind of the debts just grew and I was not frugal. I wanted to have a flat screen TV. I wanted to have a DVD player. All the things that were cool in the early two thousands. I wanted you did the so normal twenties thing. Yep.
0: Okay, so you worked a part time job,
1: but I but I feel like I kept it under control. I mean, I, yeah,
0: seventeen thousand dollars. And what were well, what was your salary at this Dallas company when you were in two thousand six? Uh
1: thirty thirty three thousand ish. Yeah.
0: And you had racked up $17,000 in credit card debt. Okay. I was going to be like, hey, I, I was going to really say Mindy's like, uh, you were making I do I feel like controlled, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to support you, but Hey, you paid it off. That is what we're going to focus on is that you got yourself into debt. Many people get themselves into debt and stay there. So you didn't stay there. You paid it off. Yay for you. And you took a part-time job to do it. There are so many people who get their full-time adult job and they're like, well, I'm not going to work part-time because this is my job now. And I'm just going to, I guess I just have debt now. And I like that you do what it takes to make money, to to generate income so you can go after the thing that you want. You alluded to eBay flipping, which is my favorite part of your story, because I am jealous. You have made it work. I failed miserably i didn't really stick with it i went to the thrift store like i love thrift store shopping but i can't buy everything because my husband's like no i don't want a house full of crap so i'm like oh i'll sell it on ebay whatever i was buying people were like no we don't want that either that's why it's at the thrift store so i have been a horrible failure at my ebay flipping i want to hear how you flip on ebay and make it successful
1: um so i've been flipping off and on since college um i actually there was a store outside of cleveland i was home and they were marking down purses when i was there they were a good name brand diesel purse and they were a dollar fifty and i i remember asking the cashier i said are these really a dollar fifty and they had them sitting up there um next to the register to try and add them on to people's sales and i just pushed the cart right up to her and i bought every single one of them there were two colors and this was back before eBay even had buy it now. And um, I would sell them two at a time and they paid for a full semester of college. I mean, so that was kind of the origins of the eBay and over the years I've bought duds and I've had home runs that I didn't even know were home runs when I was buying them. And uh, some, at some point, I, I really switched over to eBay with the discontinued makeups, with the bras, with all those types of small, easy to ship items that are inexpensive. Uh, Dallas is super central, located for a lot of closeout places to dump their merchandise. So when closeouts happen at all these different stores, they'll get shipped and dumped right the, in the center of the country. And, um, I go out to the flea markets and I can find, you know, you can always go out there and find something. And it's like you with a thrift store, you can go to the thrift store and find something, but you got to get someone else to buy it. And, um, the great thing about the flea market is it's so inexpensive that, um, you know, when you go and invest $100 on a hundred dollars on a big box of makeup, it's a hundred dollar investment. It's not like you're dumping, you know, some of these palettes are f- $30,000 for a palette. And I, I see people doing it and being very successful, but I've always been way more comfortable with the conservative $100 box of makeup than a $30,000 palette of electronics.
0: Okay. You just threw out a ton of keywords that people who don't flip on eBay may not understand. So, uh, first of all, you said, I sell purses, I sell makeup, and I sell bras. I I don't know that that you are a consumer of these items. I, I am personally definitely. How do you get started in something that you don't use?
3: Um, I mean, like I don't sell jock straps on eBay. I don't know that anyone would buy that. Um, you probably could make money. You got to go find them at a discount, Mindy.
1: <laughs> right. It was just one of those that the opportunity was there. Um, I worked at the Gap, so I saw what was selling, what was not selling, what people were coming in for. So I had the retail exposure. Um, And it was just – there was a lot of opportunity there. Are you always going to need a bra? Are you always going to – you know, those are – essentials that aren't going to go bad there's very low risk they were very low cost items the bras that i was flipping and i turned into a condo those were two dollars originally and i had just met my husband and he sat with me it took us a day to peel all the clearance stickers off of them to get them ready to to resell and reflip but if you have patience and and right before we were getting ready to record i was just talking about these fleece pajamas that I'm buying right now. Yes, nobody wants these pajamas right now. And that's why they're five bucks. But you know what, they're gonna be $15 in October when everybody wants pajamas again. So it's there's lots of opportunities out there. And you don't have to have a flea market, you can literally go into a, a closeout store to start scanning stuff with your eBay app and see what's selling.
0: Okay, explain that and then go back to the whole palette thing.
1: <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, you, so
0: you scan you
1: if you have the eBay app, you can um, scan anything with a scan bar at a, at any store that you're at, and you can filter it to see what's selling. And if there's nothing in that sold category, that means that item is something you don't want. If there's a ton in that sold category, that's something you wanna put in your cart and buy. Um, and it, it, it's easy. I mean, it's just one of those, if you have the eBay app and start scanning, you can walk through any TJ Maxx or Ross type store and you can fill up a cart of stuff that's selling, and and you can double, triple, you know, you can make some money on some of these items.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get download the eBay app and go zip through and see what you're talking about. Um, let's get back to this pallet of thirty thousand dollars of electronics. I know what a pallet is. Can you? Can you uh, explain what you're talking about here?
1: Absolutely. Uh, End of season, uh, anywhere from Gap or Target or any of these big retailers, they're going to clearance stuff out. They're going to bring in the new models. Electronics is really risky, especially because you get a lot of phone cases and you know phone cases are only good for that phone version and old phone versions. I stay away from electronics. I don't want anything to do with it. But I do see people out there who are buying these pallets of end of season stuff and flipping them. I mean, there's a lot of money, and yes, you may spend $30,000 buying one pallet, but you could have, you know, 3,000 pieces on it, and each piece is, you know, X amount of, of dollar. There's a lot of money that can be made, especially with older video games, older DVDs. There, There's some money there, and there's some people that just feel comfortable
3: flipping that sort of merchandise.
0: That sounds like something you're going to need to know about.
3: I didn't know that you could, you could scan the barcode with the eBay app, but... As we talked about before, I've done a decent amount of garage sale and/or flea market flipping on one-offs. I, I never, I don't know that I've ever bought anything in bulk and sold, but I would go through and I would pull up the app and search for it. Uh, the barcode would have been super cool, but I love that. I actually did a it was like a thousand dollar like grow your dough challenge in twenty I think nineteen. Where it was a couple different bloggers who were going to try to see how much they could take a thousand dollars to over the course of the year, and everyone was doing stocks or whatever, and I was like. Real estate, how do I get to where I can put this money down as a down payment? And I went the garage sale route. And I mean, it was weird because it's like I'm only investing like a hundred, two hundred dollars a month because I spending a thousand dollars at a garage sale is actually a lot harder than you think. But I was making, I mean, by the end of the first quarter, I had like thirty five hundred dollars out of that, you know, and I was like, Man, if I could just figure out how to get more purchases, like there's actually a pretty decent margin there, but it's fun.
0: So where does one get a $30,000 pallet of electronics.
3: I mean, there's so many different
1: resellers out there. Bulk.com is them. You can buy them on eBay even, you know, from other resellers. I always like to try and go as close to the source as possible. So I know when Target is pulling it, who they're selling it to. And I'm going right to who they're selling it to. Because a lot of times it gets so watered down and cherry picked that when you get that $30,000 pallet, you could probably sell it for about $30,000, but there's not a lot of profit. Okay. and i don't want anything that's been cherry picked through um w- with that with the shelf pulls.
0: Okay, yeah. That yeah, you want the the good stuff the right off the bat. So this is For really sure. interesting because i never had barcodes to scan and i didn't clearly didn't know that that was a thing, but it seems like that would be a lot easier, but you're also maybe paying more or maybe not paying more because you're at i mean TJ Maxx has some, some really high quality stuff just marked down, sometimes really, really low compared to the original price. Like I remember a there was a gorgeous leather Armani skirt and it was not my size. And I was like, I'll dye it and get into it. It's an Armani skirt. I should totally buy this. But it was like normally, I don't know, $2,000. I don't even know why it was at, uh, at TJ Maxx, but it was like $30. And this was, well, I I don't know if this was eBay time or not, but it was like, this is such a low price. Then again, would I pay $30 for a skirt? No, I'm too cheap for that. But $30 for a leather Armani skirt I'll pay for. Like, I don't know. It shouldn't matter, but it did.
3: Sounds like a good profit
0: margin
1: though, if you flip it.
0: Yeah, I could have flipped it if I only knew all of these things. Um, Okay, so you mentioned that you have some...
1: I sell leather skirts. That's one of my items that I sell. And I actually, it's crazy that I sell a lot of them, but we do. And it's a huge profit margin on them.
0: Do you have mostly women's wear and women's items that you're selling? Or do you sell men's I I sell
1: men's stuff, but it doesn't sell like the women's stuff. And I can't get it as cheap. Like, so the leather skirts, I paid two bucks for uh, the, the men's shorts I paid six bucks for. And when I sell those leather skirts, I'm selling them for 60. And when I sell those shorts, I'm selling them for 40. So I'm going to go more with the leather skirts for $2 and sell them for 60 bucks versus the $6 shorts that I sell for 40 bucks. And and so I sell both, but the women's stuff tends to sell a lot better.
0: What doesn't sell well?
1: Um, seasonal stuff. I mean, anything Halloween or Easter, I mean, you have a tiny window to sell it. And if you don't sell it in that window, you're going to sit on it for another year. Um, and other like end of season, like the, when the phones, phone cases don't sell well because you're always upgrading your phone. And if you get stuck to a bad batch of older phone cases, you're going to be sitting on those. So I've had that. I've had candy before that I, I, bought a pallet and it had all candy. Nobody wants that. Um, So I just donate it, you know, in those cases when you get stuck with something or I bundle when I can't sell something like uh, I just was posting about, I bought these Elizabeth Arden makeup bags. I filled them with all the stuff I couldn't sell. And then I sold the makeup bag for 10 bucks. So I didn't make any money, but I didn't lose any money. I got rid of my, my excess and that's kind of, I've been really big with bundles when I can't move it. I'll bundle it with something that's good. And those tend to, to sell a lot better.
3: That's actually really smart. I like that.
0: That is. I'm thinking inventory management because that was going to be my next question. Where do you store all this stuff? I mean, you've got, you know, 500 houses, which we didn't even talk about yet, but not 500, but you've got a <laughs> bunch of houses, but they're all rentals. Do you have any warehouse space?
1: I don't, I have, I own a retail space with um, storage space, but I don't use it. Um, I rent it. And um, I had a 400 square foot guest house in the back of my house. And if I can't fit it in there, I can't buy it. That's kind of the rule of thumb in our house. And it did overflow into the house at some points, especially during the holidays when I was going crazy and, you know, we're, we're shipping 20, 30, 40 things a day. Um, but, uh, we just moved, and I've got a two-car garage and a storage shed. And once those are full, that, that's my storage. And that's where my – I'm not going to spend extra money for the storage units because um, I'm not there. But I'm, I'm good with where
3: I'm at. So I love this because you, people are always talking side hustles, right? It's a buzzword. Everybody, oh, side hustle. And people will go I, – I, I hear a bunch of excuses for why this side hustle won't work or why that side hustle won't work. And the reality is, like, this just goes to prove that you can literally make money doing, like, anything. Like, you are buying products that you don't use at a discount and selling them and making a, I mean, a massive profit margin. And you're not tied to, like, a lot of these side hustles are still tied to your time, right? You have to spend three hours driving for Uber to make the, you know, whatever. This is on your schedule. I love it. A hundred percent.
1: And I I was working with someone. Uh, he wanted to start small. I talked to his comfort level was Walmart. He went into Walmart last summer. He bought a bunch of clearance toys. He sat on them for a little bit. And then in November and by the middle of December, he sold everything. And he sold enough toys that it paid for everything that he bought for people for Christmas. So that was his goal. He wanted to be able to do a free Christmas and just by buying the, you know, I think he invested two or $300 in clearance toys in the summer. He turned that into, you know, $1,300 in, in the winter. And, and yes, he had to go to the post office and ship them. So there's time in there, but he was able to cover all the rest of his holiday expenses just by, you know, holding these toys for a certain amount of time. And it's, you know, timing is, is half of the, the deal when you're flipping is, Those toys were worthless to people in July, but people certainly wanted to put them under the Christmas tree. Well, and depending on
3: what you're what you're buying right and the size, obviously, that's going to change your packaging. But the USPS will send you free free envelopes and free boxes in like bulk. Like, I think I have like 100 sleeves and then I just log in and click print and I can ship a a book or whatever. And I will just have like four of them and just walk by the post office and drop them off. So, you know, there's ways to streamline that for sure.
0: So what's your biggest challenge with this this eBay flipping?
3: Okay, for eBay
1: flipping, it is there. there's a few different challenges that go with it. Um, there's sometimes where you just get some people that are just unpleasable. Um, I've, I, I will refund an item, uh, even though I know that there's no defect, just because I want to avoid the negative feedback. Um, the streamline of merchandise has not been an issue, because whenever I'm running out of that good item, I'll go spend a weekend out at the flea market and I'll find, you know, I'll scan and scan and scan and find. So I haven't had a problem. And then um, the other thing is holding the merchandise. You know, those, those shorts that I bought for men, I've been sitting on since last winter and now they finally started selling this winter because I'm selling the shorts off season. None of the department stores have shorts right now. So people are buying shorts for cruises for vacations and whatnot so it's it's holding it and when is the right time to ditch it when is the right time to just say i'm done holding this i just want to donate
2: it and get it out of my merch. you know out of my inventory this show is sponsored by airbnb
0: minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment? A wedding? Or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Real estate investing is great. okay so this begs the question because many people who listen to this show are money nerds and keep a spreadsheet since the dawn of time or of all of their spending forever do you take inventory and keep track of what's selling and what's not and when's the right time and like you know being in retail i worked in retail and there's um there's the summer season the fall season holiday one holiday two. You've got all these where, you know, holiday one is you're kind of selling bathing suits for people that are going to the Caribbean when it's warm, where it's warm, when it's cold by you. So you walk into the the department store and you're like, why are there bikinis everywhere? Because people are buying them. Do you kind of keep a retail mindset as well? Or do you keep track of when you're listing things?
1: Um, We have a, we have a small system kind of like what you did in retail, but it's usually like. I left my I was going to donate all my winter sweaters that didn't sell after this um, last Christmas, but I ended up selling 37 of them this this year round. So they sat on eBay for over a year. Uh, the only cost was me storing them. But now after this last one, we went ahead and donated whatever hadn't sold. Um, so, yes, I have a, you know, OK, it's sat here for long enough or it's, close. you know, sometimes I'll sell stuff with expiration dates when it's close to the date. I'll just either bundle it, throw it in something, or or donate it because I don't want it to go bad sitting there waiting for it to sell.
0: What do you sell that has an expiration date? Deodorant. I didn't know deodorant had an expiration date. Where do you get deodorant?
1: There are... Like, and, like clearance? Uh, there's a closeout.
0: Clearance deodorant?
1: Discontinued. There is a lot of money in discontinued scents of deodorant. Like it doesn't even make sense, but they're like, this scent works for me and this scent doesn't work for me. So they will spend more money buying these and, and, and a lot of these places, these big companies will donate, you know, their end of season or their end of production stuff. And when you have that right scent, I mean, I was shipping deodorants left and right last summer and I wouldn't do it again because half of them melted on the way to the people. If it gets too hot, the deodorant's going to melt.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: But. There is a lot of money in these discontinued colors, discontinued scents, discontinued cuts of of, of jeans and, and that.
0: Now that I would believe because when you find a pair of jeans that fit, oh, when I find a pair of jeans that fit, I go back and I buy like 10 because I will not find another pair. And you got to wear them and like wear them in. So you got to rotate them through. What has been your biggest like surprise? You know, holy cow, I can't believe this sold for so much. Like win.
1: Um, I've had, I, I was, uh, this was in, I bought, um, a, a storage unit from a friend and he had a lot of discontinued scents in there, um, that he was buying from department stores when the box would get ripped or the lid would break. And he had cases and cases of this cologne. It was called good life. It's made by the same people as, um, cool water. And I'm just like, oh, cool. I can probably get 20 bucks, you know, for these. I'll, I'll list these. They're all wrapped in good shape. And they even had samples in there. And I'm like, oh, this smells good. And I have been selling those. I've sold all the colognes for $250 a bottle. And I've been selling the little samples for $22 a piece. And I had cases and cases of them. So um it was just something I never would have thought of. And then... I just decided, and it was like that off chance, like, oh, I should check this out and see what this is. And I missed one of them. There was a a case of Men Candies cologne that I threw away. And then I, after the fact, I found one bottle and I looked it up and I'm like, oh my God, they're selling for $87 a bottle. And I just threw all those away. Um, But it was just one of those. I would have never thought to even look it up until I was standing there and I just did it on
3: an off chance. How much did you pay for the storage unit?
1: Uh, A little bit over $1,000, and if you saw the amount that came out of the storage unit, and and this friend had lots of storage units, and we bought a lot at the same time, if I would have done it right, I would have bought one at a time and really processed the merchandise. Because like I said, I threw away things like a case of Candy's Cologne that I thought had no value. Um, And I'm just glad I didn't throw away the
3: cases of Good Life Cologne. Man, that makes me feel... Like so, so my my like biggest win, which is totally not replicable, was I got a printer for like fifty cents, and I was able to sell it for like eighty something dollars and I was like, you know the return was like something ten thousand percent or whatever, but it's like not a huge chunk of change, just a large percentage r o i two fifty a bottles of like that's that's an awesome return. Who cares about the percentage that's a yeah, you know, I mean, a couple cases of that I mean you sell four, you break even. <laughs> You can buy, win. You could buy. I mean, so, so what I was doing was I
1: was turning around and using all these profits and I was buying properties with them and I was buying the properties that everyone was ignoring in, in Texas. And that's really how I started going after 2009 and 2010, 2011. I was buying at least one or two a year and I was using this eBay money or whatever money I could generate to buy them. And investors didn't want condos back then. And, and just last year I, sold a $15,000 condo for $97,000 and I turned it into a multifamily property in Ohio with it. So that's kind of, that's where I really grew like crazy. And that's where I made this business big enough that I could leave my nine to five. You know, I've been with that company that moved me to Texas for 15 years. I left them just this past January. And, um, If I wouldn't have done that investing in 2010, 11, 12, 13, I went aggressive from 10 to 15, I wouldn't have been in that position to be able to leave that nine to five job.
0: So you bought pallets full of discontinued merchandise, sold it on eBay, took that money and simultaneously bought more merchandise and properties that you rented out and then sold the properties that you rented out and 1031 them, I'm assuming into properties in Ohio.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the 1031 exchange. Um, I've turned lots of properties uh, that I bought early on in Texas into much bigger, you know, I bought a a commercial space with a, a 1031 exchange for another property. I, Couldn't have got that financed if I didn't, I found financing like non-traditional financing because at the time it was super distressed. But if I didn't listen to bigger pockets, I would have never been able to get that completely financed because a bank wouldn't touch it. So I, I was able to, you know, network with the community just from listening to the show and going on the message boards. And I found financing that way. So I got creative along the way and I used my nine to five money to buy my merchandise because I had extra money from that because I always house hacked. I always had a roommate paying my bill. I always had a tenant paying my my mortgage. And then um, the money that I made is what I use towards my real estate.
0: How do you look at a piece of property that is so distressed a bank won't touch it and say, oh yeah, I want to take that on. Like a lot of people will pass on that. The reason that it was available for you is because it was so distressed and the bank wouldn't touch it and people are like, no way. If a bank doesn't want it, I don't want it either. How do you determine that it's going to be a good property versus a complete and total disaster?
1: And I mean, I've had disasters over the years. I, I bought a crack house on eBay, which we can touch on. Um, <laughs> but I look at, does it have good bones? And, and that commercial space was in a sweet spot And it was just so distressed and so ignored, but it had good bones. And when I had an inspector go through it, they're like, this place is solid. It just needs completely updated. It needs a new furnace. It needs a new roof. It needs this. But the bones were there. And I was like, and that's, you know, even with the condos, when I was buying these 12,000, 15,000, $21,000 condos, the complexes were well kept. It was just the HOA owned some of them. You know, they were just distressed, forgotten properties, but they were in a good spot or a good location, and that was that was my key. If I if I go into a property and I'm like, I would live here, then I'm going to buy it. If I go into a property and say I would never live here, and I have bought those before, where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable here, and I, and those are the first ones that I always sell. Um, but you got to look at you know how are the bones? How are the neighbors? How what's going on around here? And and then go walk around and talk to people. You know, I'm taking out trash at a new place. And I'm just talking like, hey, what's going on? How long have you lived here? Talk to the neighbors. See if they would want to live here. Would they want to rent? Do they like living there?
0: Okay, let's look at this, this commercial property specifically. You said it needed a new furnace and it needed a new roof. What did you pay for this property? And was this sounds like this was your first commercial property?
1: Yeah, that was the uh, first commercial. That was in like 2018, I believe, or 2019. And um, it was really, really, really poorly listed. It was a four-unit, three residential, one commercial space. Um, the commercial space could be split into two, so it was technically five on paper, but we just left it how it was. And um, it was poorly, poorly, poorly listed, poorly marketed, poorly advertised, and it was 85000 And then... Um, It got reduced down to 75, and I kept saying to my friends, I'm like, let's go look at this. Let's go look at this. Let's go look at this. They went, they're like, yeah, this is solid, and it's a great spot, and 17,000 cars drive down that road in a day. Let's try this. And I put in a a cash offer of 65, and they're like, no, we'll do 70. And we're like, no, and then they came back, and they're like, okay, we'll do 65. Um, So that was how that deal went. (laughs) And what does – And I, so to date, I have, I've invested about 40 into it. Uh, I did about 10,000 each unit between the roof, between the furnace, between updating, you know, they have some Ikea kitchens in there and um, it, 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 it appraised for 200,000 this past year. So I'm 105 in and, and we're 200,000 on the property now.
0: And it cash flows.
1: It, it's a re- They were making so little rents, it was insane. But in 2020, we
3: collected over $30,000 in rent from that place alone. With a whopping probably 6000 in mortgage payments. That's a huge wow. margin for maintenance and expenses. I love it. Wow. And that's the magic. That's the magic. People get turned away by properties that look and or smell terrible. But if the bones are good... The profit margin is huge. We've got one right now that there was a grease fire in the kitchen. The kitchen was the only thing that was damaged. There was maybe a door had some heat damage. The rest smoke damage, right? You got to pull all the drywall out and whatever. Lots of big updates. That thing, I mean, it's set for three or four years, and we're gonna probably turn a seventy-five thousand dollars profit on the flip. It's, yeah, it's it, but but like you said, the the bones were good.
0: Yeah, you can. There's
1: and some people lack that vision.
0: There is no problem that is too big. You can't throw enough money at it to fix. It's just how much money are you going to throw at it? You could have bought another property for 65000 and put in 400000 to get it worth 200000 That's not a good property. Don't buy that one. Buy this one instead. <laughs> the cash flow is all day long. I mean, there are some properties that don't make sense at any price. There are some properties you yeah. would have to pay me in order for this to be a good deal for me. You don't have to buy those properties. And this is why you need to run your numbers and get used to running numbers. And I, I think they say on the uh, Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, they talk over and over about getting comfortable running your numbers. And when you're first starting out, analyze properties. Analyze properties every single day. You had a really key point about this property that uh, I want to highlight. You said it was poorly marketed. I'm seeing right now in this market in I'm in the Denver market. It is the hottest market I've ever seen in my whole life. And I've been in real estate since before both of you guys were born. And it is insane out there. I'm watching prices climb every week. I had a client who put in an offer and got it uh, at the beginning of February. By the time we close at the beginning of March, she already had like 50 or $75,000 in appreciated value value on this house. I'm going to do air quotes because I can't believe this market is so, so ridiculous. But I digress. You said it was poorly marketed. We're looking for another property for this client. And we found one and it was poorly marketed. I couldn't believe how poorly marketed it was. Somebody swooped in and got it for another 5,000 more than we paid for it, probably. Um, they wouldn't. The listing agent wouldn't tell us anything about the other offer. Uh, But he said that it didn't hit 800 and we were, we were real close to 800. So there wasn't a lot of room to move. Um, But anyway, it was poorly marketed. It was, it had horrible pictures. It had no pictures until Saturday. um, And the description was terrible. It was way overpriced for the market or for the area. If you don't take into account that it's like three times bigger than any other house there. It was going to be a great house and it was totally outdated. It was kind of ugly. And, but you can fix all that stuff. And you can, it was a three bedroom with a huge loft upstairs, two walls and a door. And you've got four bedrooms upstairs, which is hugely more valuable than a three bedroom house. And it would have been like I was calling everybody I knew Can I pay you? How much can I pay you to get out there and build two walls and a door for my client? Because this would be such a great investment for her. And I've got the agent, I'm sending him texts every day. Hey, if your deal falls through, we're, we're right there. We can close in two weeks. And it's, but look for the poorly marketed ones. We're going in now on, you know, everything's going under market on uh, going under contract on like Sunday or Monday, go in on Tuesday and see what's still there. Click through the pictures and look through. Oh, those are horrible pictures or, Hey, that's a, That's, I mean, some of the houses on on the market on Tuesday are there because they're horrible. They back up to the train and the busy, you know, across the street, the gas station. But some of them were just overlooked and there were better houses on the market that weekend. So everybody went and bid on those houses, but there's still properties that are kind of like falling through the cracks, even in this market. So look for the ones that are poorly marketed. This was a five unit that was advertised as a four unit. Look for ones that are, you know, oh, it says it's a three unit. I found a listing that had zero bathrooms. You can't have a house with zero bathrooms. I don't know if you guys know this, but it has to have at least one bathroom in order to be a house. So I before I reached out to the listing agent to correct him on it, I clicked through to make sure that it wouldn't work for one of my clients. Because if you have a listing set up in the MLS, or if you have a, a search set up where you're looking for a minimum of one bathroom, well, this isn't going to hit it you're not going to see this house. So I clicked through, it was not going to work for any of my clients. So I reached out to the listing agent. I'm like, Hey, you have this listed as a zero bathroom house. You may not get the traction that you're looking for on this, but you know, look for have way open-ended searches. Don't look for a three bedroom, two bath between 550 and 575. Look for a you know, if you need three bedrooms, look for a minimum three bedroom, but don't put bathrooms in there and go up to seven seven or five seventy five with no minimum. Sometimes you can get something on the bottom end that is kind of interesting or mislabeled, or you know there's a lot of mistakes on the m l s even in this market.
3: You would be amazed, like I think letting somebody take pictures of your house with one of these, a cell phone for those of you on audio is like probably the most costly expense when you comes to selling a house. I would wager that in a lot of cases, your photos, if done poorly, will cost you more than the 6% commission you pay to the agent and closing costs combined because you're just not – nobody's going to live at your house. There's not going to – you're going to miss out on the competition. And it astounds me that there are – I don't want to say agents who are lazy, but I, I'd imagine it's probably – Less, just more that they are they're novices, maybe. Uh, but like that is that you would let something go to list in a market this hot without professional photos that cost two or three hundred dollars is just mind blowing.
0: I will say that you can take good quality pictures with your cell phone. The iPhone has really great, like the newest iPhone has a great camera. I have my husband take all the pictures for my listings because he takes really great pictures. I don't do a lot of listings. And I tell them up front, look, we can pay for professional photography or my husband can come in and take these pictures. He's going to be here several times throughout the day because some some rooms look better during the day and some rooms look better at night with the lights on on the inside. So he's going to take pictures of the whole house in both times and we're going to see what works best. And those are the houses, those are the pictures we're going to use. And I don't care if the kitchen is dark when in the listing and the backyard is all light. You know, nobody cares. They just want to see what the house looks like. But yeah, we take good pictures, and if you can't take good pictures yourself, then you should absolutely hire it out. But yeah, yeah, that is, you know, you click through and you're like, I can't even see, and for the love of everything that is holy, close the toilet lid before you take a picture. <laughs> the end.
3: Yeah, or or and and then and then you've got the whole uh, organization of the photos too, right? Like it should be how you walk through. Thank the house you. Instead of like sometimes you open a listing and it's like. Oh, look, a closet is photo one, right? Wow. Such a cool closet. <laughs> yeah. And
0: if you can't figure out the way that the the house is laid out from the pictures, sometimes that's on purpose because the house is weird. Sometimes that is because somebody uploading pictures didn't do it right. So, you know, definitely click through and take the time to see what is, what's there. And if it's confusing to you, it's going to be confusing to a lot of people. Um, In this market, there is hot, hot frenzy every weekend. So if you see a house that looks gorgeous and you're looking for a deal, don't go view that house that looks gorgeous. It's not going to be a deal. Look for the weird houses. Click through the pictures that are you know, oh, it's a kitchen. The next picture is a bathroom. Is there a bathroom off the kitchen? Or is this and then there's the backyard? And then there's no more pictures. Go see that house. That's gonna have far less people scrambling to get in. That's gonna have more people um overlooking it or being like, nah, I don't like it. I want to see a different house. And you don't want the competition. You want to get in and be the only offer. When we made this offer in February. We were the only offer on this house, whereas there was another house around the corner that got 16 offers and bid up like 150000 over list. We offered on that too, but we didn't get it. And we're like, I can't believe there's no other offers on this. We're going to put a really tight acceptance deadline on this just because we either want to get it under contract or we want to go someplace else. And it was a great offer. We weren't like trying to lowball them or anything, but um, there's you know, some things just fall through the cracks, but you got to look, you got to be in the market right now, analyzing deals and really jumping in to to see, you know, you got to know your market and poorly marketed is your best friend.
3: All right. I called dibs on this earlier. So I'm asking, tell me about the crack house on eBay.
1: (laughs) Crack house on eBay was, uh, I had money in my account. Um, and I'm sitting at work and I was familiar with the zip code. I was not familiar with the street. Um, I texted my friends up in Toledo, Ohio and said, Hey, can you drive by? And one of my friends is finally like, yeah, I'll go on lunch. And at that point I had already won it. Um, cause it was one of those where it had like two hours left. Um, it was auction.com fulfilled by eBay and my friend went by and they're like, it's rough, but I think you can make it work. And I I thought it was a different neighborhood than what it was. Um, I sent my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time and my dad to go look at it once I closed and paid all my money for it. This was a $13,500 house. Um, and I originally told my husband, like, I've got utilities on. You can stay there the night. Just take a take a sleeping bag with you. And when he got there, there were, like, bullet holes in the uh, door frame. There were bullet holes in the dining room window. Uh, and then my dad started sending me pictures of syringes in the bathroom. And um, I booked my boyfriend a hotel down the road, um, and he didn't have to stay there. And then my dad's like... <laughs> I'm just gonna walk away from this one. Just lose the thirteen thousand dollars and be done with it. Don't even mess with this house. Like it is scared. Like we are scared to be over here past six o'clock. And I'm like, I, is it really that bad? And it was. Um, so my contractor, he was working. Your dad's a cop. Uh, trust me, and that's why he's like, just walk away from it. It's scary. But true story, my contractor was inside working. And there was a drug deal going on in the backyard of my property. A kid got shot while my contractor's in there. Um and it, it, here here's here's the end of the story, which is my favorite part. It finally ended in July of 2021. I I did pour a ton of money. It got an Ikea kitchen. It got a new furnace. It got a new roof. It got lots of improvements. So I was all in at $38,000 on this property, which is way more than what I wanted to spend. But I sold it in July of 2021 to my tenant. I owner financed him because he couldn't get traditional financing. And he is happy there. It's the nicest one on the street. It's well kept. He's taken pride in ownership, so it was a, and he's current on his payment, so it was a, a win win on both sides. So it was a. I probably should have walked away, and listened to my dad, and listened to my boyfriend at the time, but it still turned out okay. It just took a couple years to get over the finish line.
0: Do you buy houses on eBay anymore?
1: I do not buy houses on eBay. I do not buy houses in that zip code anymore. I've learned my lesson. Um, I did buy. A side lot um, from the city. The the property next to mine was torn down. They sold me a prop a, a lot for one hundred and fifty dollars, just if I would mow it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll mow it. That increased the value. Why would I not buy a, a piece of land for one hundred and fifty dollars? So I, I, it was a learning experience. That's what I'll say about that uh, purchase. Hey,
3: but I mean, you know, ultimately <laughs> you you came out all right and you learned a ton, right? And I mean, I think you you definitely set a key. I think I think the key there was when you were like, oh, I was familiar with the zip code, but not the neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> and that's, you know... I've, I lived in the <laughs> zip code, so I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. I used to live in this
1: zip code. I know this store is right there and that. But no, it was not the right. And it was really broken down by streets. You could go, like, one street over and it's nice. You could go one street to the left and it's nice. It was just a really rough yeah. street. And... You learned as you go.
0: That reminds me of the Mark Twain quote, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to learn the lesson. And yeah, I think it sounds awesome. Oh, look, here's a house for $13,000. But then, yeah, sometimes you just have to. I mean, I bought a condo and I learned that I don't ever want to buy condos. And I'm so glad that you had success in your condos, but I did not.
1: I've sold almost all of them at this point. I could, and they, but they got me where I wanted to go. So, and I hold a couple of the, the three best ones that are in the great A-class neighborhoods. Um, But no, I'm not a condo fan either. I would not want to, you know, I'm never looking actively for condos, but in Dallas where there's not a ton of single families and the investors were crazy for the single families. I had to go for what everyone else was ignoring. So that's where I started.
3: I feel like that's kind of a, like a transition for a lot of real estate investors is you, you start out a lot of times you're looking for that, that 2% rule, that, that house that needs a ton of work, you're going to put a ton of sweat equity. You're, you might deal with a crappy tenant, like all these things that could go wrong because you are trying to leverage into a return to get yourself off the ground. But then as your portfolio grows, you start to get to this point where you're like, that one's more stressful than the other ones that's got to go. Like, it's just, it's like, so I'm at that point in my portfolio now where like, I bought a bunch of things that were, they cash flowed great. They appreciated great. They were good properties from a financial standpoint, but they were headaches. And so it's like, okay, if I can get rid of that headache and move it into something that might not cash flow as great, but doesn't call me, great.
0: Yeah. Well, and you learn so much by dealing with the headaches. Sometimes you're learning like, oh, this is a fix that I need to now make when I buy a house, or this is a thing I need to make sure is top notch when I buy a house. Or this is a problem with a tenant that I overlooked during screening that I need to like. You're you should always be learning from these headaches. But yeah, you can get rid of the headaches too. So,
1: one hundred percent.
0: Ten thirty one into a really good property. Yes. So, okay. So we could talk for another seventeen hours about all the things that Tom has done, but we all three need to get on with our the rest of our day. So I want Tom to come back later on down the road and talk to us about 1031 exchanges and and some of these other fun more advanced real estate topics that we've had. Anytime. Or experiences that he's had. Uh, but Tom, we're not done with you just yet. We still have to do our famous four. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, Tom, what is your favorite finance book?
1: Favorite finance book is Tim Ferriss of uh, the 4-hour work week.
0: Okay. That's a good book.
3: Tom, what's your biggest money mistake?
1: Biggest money mistake would have to be um, purchasing a house in 2005 at the top of the market and trying to make that work in a neighborhood that I had no business being in. I had no team built. I had no support there. So I lost money on it all 10 years that I owned it. And I lost money on it when I sold it. So I, I carry that one as a learning lesson.
0: I'm sorry. I'm not laughing. I'm laughing at the way you phrased that. I lost money all 10 years that I owned it. And I lost money when I sold it. But you learned, right? Did you learn a lot?
1: I did. And it's a good story to tell people when they're like, I want to be in real estate. I'm like, well, let me tell you this story.
0: Okay, Tom, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out?
1: Um, get rid of the bad debt, obviously. I mean, I'm a huge debt-free advocate. What can you do right now? And there's so many people that are so far into debt, but want to be in real estate today because they want to start earning money. So start working on that debt. But then also, can you get yourself a $15 pack of business cards that you can pass out to people? So they know that you're interested in real estate so you can network because building that network even before you have that money is awesome. Because then when you are ready, you already know that that plumber can do that job for you. You already know that this person is in real estate and you can call them about this. So go spend the $15 on the pack of business cards and pass them out. Just make yourself, you know, introduce yourself. Say, hey, I want to get in real estate. I'm paying off debt right now, but I want to be there.
0: I wrote an article called Do Ask, Do Tell Your Secret Weapon for Landing Deals. And it was like, tell everybody that you know what you do. The moral of this story is you never know who knows somebody who is about to sell.
1: And that's how I found so many. I, one of my best deals came from a man at the flea market who I bought nail polish from. And he's like, this is my mother-in-law's house. I don't want it anymore. And I'm like, I want it. And I bought nail polish from you for a quarter. So here's my business card. I want the house and I want
3: the nail polish. Let's do this. I love it. But you're not wrong. It comes from just telling people what you want, what you're looking for, networking. It's everything. Oh, that's powerful.
0: Yep. I buy real estate. Do you know anybody who is looking to sell any property I'm interested in buying? And I I lived next door to a duplex. I was very friendly with the lady who lived in one half of the duplex. And she comes to me and she's like, oh, uh, there was a sign planted in the yard one day and I come home and I'm like, Jude, you didn't tell me that they were getting ready to sell. She's like, oh yeah, I remember that you buy real estate, huh? Yeah, he told me he was going to sell it. It sold for 240 That guy just had to sell it to, uh, because of a divorce, he sold it for $650, six years later. Hmm. And I'm frustrated because I would have kept it. I, oh, do ask, do tell. <laughs> All
3: right, and now the question that everybody eagerly awaits on every show. What's your favorite joke to tell at parties?
1: So I don't have a joke, but I tell a story about my first experience with Texas. Um, my company gave us Texas state fair tickets and I went and I didn't know anything about the state fair. And I'm just trying to use the ticket, the food tickets and the ride tickets and and go home. I'm in, I'm in a bad mood. I paid $20 to park at a, uh, a gas station. I have no idea really what's going on and and I'm standing in line at this like swing ride and I'm I'm just like, "Oh my god, how many how many more rides do I have to go on to get rid of these tickets and go?" And then it hit me and there were girls standing behind me. They were singing and there were girls standing in front of me and they were dancing around and someone on the ride threw up on all of us and I just started to cry at that moment. And I ran across the entire state fair to try and find my car at a gas station. It had been towed. Um, so it was kind of like a perfect welcome to Texas. This is what Texas is. So whenever I get asked, do you want to go to the state fair? I tell that story and I don't go to the Texas state fair anymore. And it got in the mouths of the girls because they were singing the song. So it was way more traumatic for them. It hit me on the shoulder, but it was, again... I don't go to the State Fair of Texas anymore. Not a joke,
3: but definitely something (laughs) worth laughing about. That's terrible.
1: One and done, yes. I learned the hard way on that one.
0: Okay, I have an eBay-related joke for you. I just sold my homing pigeon on eBay for the 23rd time. (laughs) That's more of a homing pigeon joke. I'm selling all of my John Lennon collection on eBay. Imagine all the PayPal.
3: (laughs) Oh, okay. Those so are good. terrible. As I said, the most <laughs> okay. anticipated question on the show.
0: Tom, where can people find out more about you?
1: So I'm super active on Twitter at the Frugal Gay 11 and on Instagram, I post renovation pics. I post eBay flips. Um, I'm pretty active on there. So if you guys want to connect, those are the two spots to definitely hit me up.
0: And what is your... What's your Instagram account?
1: Uh, same thing at the frugal gay 11 uh, at the frugal gay one was already taken. So I have to be at the frugal gay 11. Eleven's a good number. <laughs> okay. Probably my one, favorite one. number.
0: Tom, thank you so much for your time today. This was super fun. I learned a lot about eBay flipping. My husband is not going to like this episode because he's going to be like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> but now I want to go find these pallets of stuff and find some $2 skirts that I can sell online. And I'm not going to do it, but I want to, I dream. So thank you for sharing your story today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me guys. This was a lot of fun. We finally made it happen. Thank you.
0: Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. That was Tom Brickman and his fabulous story of selling random things on eBay to generate income to buy houses that generate more income that allow him to quit his job and sell more stuff on eBay to buy more houses.
3: I mean this is truly doing everything the right way. It's 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 funny to say that, right? Like selling makeup and and bras and purses is is the right way, but the the reality is like the right way is to find some way to either save more money or make more money and then to not touch it except to invest it. And that's what he did. He makes more money, he buys an investment, and then he takes those investments and rolls them into new investments. And that's the way you build wealth.
0: And he's built wealth. He has, we didn't get to his um, his final tally, but he has like 16 or 17 doors that are generating yep. enough income for him to have been able to quit his job earlier this year and still be able to buy more real estate. He is just cranking out his investments. And it's just a really fun story because now he can work as much or as little as he chooses. And that is really the whole point of this financial freedom thing is to build the life that you want. He's not beholden to a job. He doesn't have to work anymore for anybody else. He can do what he wants with his days. And that's exactly what he's doing. Okay, David, should we get out of here? Absolutely. From episode 291 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret, and I am Mindy Jensen, going back to basics and saying, See you later, alligator.